So you guys ready to sing the invitation hymn now and just go home? Yeah, we could, could we? You know me better, though, right? I'm not going to let you off that easy. Well, happy Easter, everybody. You know, this is my favorite Sunday every year because even though you already know what we're going to talk about, right? That Jesus is alive. He is risen. Amen? So we want to welcome you this morning, whether you're here just because it's on your tradition every year to be at church at Easter, or whether you're here because somebody bribed you with brunch or lunch afterwards, welcome. There's no better place you could be today as we discuss and as we celebrate Jesus' victory over death. And here's what I'm convinced of today, that with the number of people pouring into this building this morning, I'm convinced that some of you are still on a path and some of you are still searching. And you're asking yourself that fundamental question, what does it mean to be a Jesus follower? And let me tell you what, friends, that is the best question you could ever ask. And it's the most important decision you could ever make in life because it deals with the life to come. So here's what I know this morning. I know that even encouraging many of you to contemplate the idea of letting Jesus Christ have complete control of your life. For some of you, you're gonna rebuff that and push back against that and you're gonna say, no, 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 Solomon, and you're gonna have both feet on the brake, right? Because again, you're saying, you know, I'm just here today because somebody offered me a free lunch afterwards, or I'm here today because she invited me and she's really cute and I'll go anywhere she invites me, right? But you really just aren't interested at all in becoming a Christian and you've got your reasons why. Because you knew one or you worked with one or at one time in your life you were maybe married to one and, 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 and you just don't want anything to do with it. Or maybe the last time you were in church, which was maybe years ago, of the, the way they talked and the mood and the environment of that place just gave you the feeling that day that God wasn't interested at all in you. And I'm sorry if that was your experience. Or maybe there was a time in your life that you went through a season of personal tragedy or heartache or pain, and you just got kind of mad. And you couldn't reconcile the idea of a good, loving, perfect God with the suffering that you went through in life. But can I just say this morning that whatever it is that you have experienced, the message of Easter is so big and it's so powerful that it forces us to take all of our objections and just put them all to the side. And here's what I want to do for you this morning. I want to take the one verse in scripture that is probably the most well-known popular verse of the entire Bible and I want to share with you the hope of Easter through that verse. Now, when I say the most popular verse in all the Bible, what would you tell me that is? John 3, 16, all right? So since you know it, we're going to have it on the screen. And I'd like for you to read that together with me. And let's say this like we believe that the Jesus who said this is alive today, okay? So here we go. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, first of all, right there in the very beginning, we see that God loved. Do you know what that is? That is a radical departure from how other faith systems have been described throughout history. The God of other faith systems have been described as being vindictive or capricious or egocentric 
We read about the gods throughout human history, and oftentimes these gods use people as pawns for their own power or their own pleasure. The startling truth about the God of the Bible is that he loves. He is actually defined by his love in 1 John, where we read that God is love. And out of that love, God creates this amazing world And he creates you and he creates me to live in relationship with him and fellowship with one another. And God gives every human this amazing gift called freedom. We have this choice as to whether or not we want to pursue God, follow God, love God, worship God, or whether we want to just go our own way. And unfortunately, ever since Adam and Eve, all the way to mankind today, our collective response to our creator has been thanks but no thanks. Because we just don't want anybody telling us what to do, right? In fact, if we're honest, we want to tell God what to do and when to do it. So humanity lives their life void of God. And unfortunately, there's fallout for this. And we see it all around us. The Bible tells us that because of our selfishness and our self-centeredness, we just damage so much. We damage our relationship with God. We damage our relationship with one another. We even damage our own lives. That as a result of our self-centeredness, we just produce so much evil in this world that we're responsible for the hate, we're responsible for the jealousy, we're responsible for the wars that we start, and the sexism, and the racism all around us, that we just produce these things in and of ourselves because of who we are apart from God. But the good news is, is that God loved us so much that out of that love, he what? He gave. He gave And that's why 2,000 years ago, God comes to planet Earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And the reason why Jesus goes to the cross and dies the heinous death that he died is because humanity in its entirety had completely separated ourselves from the only source of life. So Jesus goes to the cross to take your sin and my sin, the disease of humanity, he takes upon the cross your guilt and shame and my guilt and shame. And you know what guilt and shame really is at its heart of hearts? It's that overwhelming sense that we're just never going to get it right. And so Jesus on the cross dies the death that we should have died and he provides for us a kind of life and the hope of life hereafter that you and I could not provide for ourselves. Now, if we just stopped right there, that would be good news, right? That God loved, and out of that love, God gave. But it doesn't just stop right there, right? Because there's another word that that we read here. It continues with the word whoever. And I love that word whoever, because that means it's all-inclusive. It does not discriminate one bit. God has thrown the door wide open for all humanity, young, old, black, white, rich, poor, educated, uneducated. And God said, whoever believes. Now that right there demands that we take a pause. Because that word believe right there is so critical because everything in this verse hinges on this promise of belief. 
So let's talk for a minute about what does it mean to believe. Let me tell you what believe is not. Believing is not just mentally understanding with it, understanding something or mentally agreeing with it. I've encountered people who say, yes, I believe in God. I think it's rational to believe in God. But that's not really the kind of belief that Scripture is demanding or the kind that Jesus calls for here. Do you know what belief is according to the Bible? Here's what belief is. Belief means that I believe in something so much, I'm trusting in it so much that I'm leaning into it with my entire being. That I am taking the full weight of who I am as an individual and I am trusting in that with everything that I am. So we could say like this morning that I've got this chair up here with me and I can say here, I believe that this chair is going to support my weight. I believe that the way that it's built and constructed and it's got four legs, that it can support me. So I'm going to trust in it. Now based upon that, am I believing, showing that I believe that right now? No, no. How about now? How about now? Now? What about now? tricking you, right? What is it? No. What about now? Yeah, some of you are saying poor chair, right? (laughs) No, but that's what belief is. I'm saying that I I believe it so much that I'm going to yield myself to that, and I'm going to release myself to it, and I'm going to completely trust it and put the full weight of myself into that. And Scripture says that when human beings do that, when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ, and we believe in him, we lean into him, we trust with him in the full weight of who we are, But the good news is this, you're not gonna perish. Do you know what perish means, folks? It means ceasing to exist. It means being cut off from the source of life who is God. And here's what I know about every human being. We don't want not to exist, right? We all wanna just go on forever and ever and ever. And Jesus says that's possible because not only are you not going to cease to exist, you can have eternal life. Can I tell you what eternal life is? Eternal life is not this existence, this earthly existence, just going on and on and on and on and never ending. That would not be good to have the pain, the sorrow, the disappointment, the hurt, the loss, the suffering of this life just continue to go on forever. That's not what eternal life is. Here's what eternal life is. Eternal life is when human beings can be connected and in that intimate, eternal relationship with their creator and with one another. And grace is the air that we breathe. Eternal life means that we don't have to worry anymore about disease or battered children or or souls that are tormented with addiction. It means we don't have to worry anymore about loss or pain or suffering. We don't have to worry about hospitals. We don't have to worry about funeral homes. And there will be no more cemeteries, right? That eternal life means this, that everything... Everything sin has stolen from humanity in this life will be restored in eternal life with our creator. Amen? That's eternal life. And that is the good news of the Bible right there. And so we celebrate that God loved and out of that love God gave and that we believe and thereby we receive. But you know what, friends? The problem is we want to add to that and we mess it all up. There's something in you and there's something that me wants to feel like that I've earned, contributed, added to 
me getting eternal life, all right? I've had a number of conversations with human beings about this very topic. When we get into discussions of heaven and hell and eternal life and God, and, and the conversation comes around to this, okay? I say, well, just tell me, tell me about heaven. And they answer like most people would answer. Well, heaven's a good place where there's a good God and good people go there. Okay, so do you have a plan then? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to live a good life. I'm a faithful husband to my wife. I raise my kids well. You know, I'm an honest businessman. I I don't lie. I recycle, right? So if God grades on a curve of goodness, then I think I've got a pretty good shot of getting in. So does everybody go there then? No, 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 not everybody. And pretty much everybody agrees that there will be some people who won't make it. Typically, we agree that renowned serial killers and brutal, ruthless dictators won't make it, right? Kind of like these guys right here, okay? Everybody pretty much agrees. Those two, no, they're not going to make the cut because they're below the curve, right? So I just say to this person, okay, well, let's imagine this. Let's imagine that there's a ladder that extends up to heaven, And each rung is a measure of goodness that we make. And at the very top of the ladder, we know, is God, who is perfectly good, holy, just, the picture of righteousness and goodness. We would all agree on that, right? And then at the very bottom, even below the first rung, we've got Manson and Hitler, right? Because humanity as a whole can find nothing good or redeemable at all in these two renowned people from history. So then I just challenge the person, well, I'd like for you to kind of put there, point to it, or mark with a pencil somewhere where you believe you fit in between Manson and Hitler and God. But before you do that, before you do that, before you make your own mark right there, could you just kind of tell me somebody who you believe that the world would attribute a lot of goodness to? Who's kind of those people that the world would say, man, they're kind of way up the ladder because of their goodness? And you know what a lot of times people will say? They'll say somebody like this. Mother Teresa. How many of you, when I asked that question, maybe she's the one that came to your mind, right? Because we look at Mother Teresa, selfless, sacrificial, gave herself to the least of these, just kind of the epitome of humility, right? But even Mother Teresa talked about this, wrote about this, and said that when she examined her own life and saw the kind of pettiness and pride in her own life, that she didn't even think that she got like 25% up a ladder of goodness. So there we've got Mother T. Not to be confused with Mr. T. Make sure you're reading that right, okay? So we've got Mother Teresa there. Well, then I say, well, who's somebody else that you would attribute a lot of goodness to? Who's another person throughout history or in our day and time that the world collectively would agree is good by human standards of goodness? And a lot of times they'll throw out another name, a religious figure. Who's that? Billy Graham. I mean, think about everything that this man has done in his life. He's filled entire stadiums on pretty much every continent in the known world, right? He's preached to millions. Millions of people would say that they came to know Christ as a result of going to a Billy Graham crusade or because of Billy Graham's influence. And the interesting thing is that Billy Graham even kind of talked about this. And wrote about this. And he said that like even comparing himself to somebody like Mother Teresa, he didn't even see himself getting that far even at the 25% mark. So Billy Graham would actually place himself even under 
Mother Teresa. And then I just have to say to this person, you know what? I've got a great church and a congregation who's shown a lot of love and appreciation for me, but they would be the first to tell you, and I would agree, that Solomon David is much, much lamer than Billy Graham. Amen? Amen? Okay, thank you. All right, because I totally agree with you on that, okay? When it comes to goodness and accomplishment, okay? So, so right there, we've got Mother T, Billy G, Solomon D, okay? Now, show me where you would put yourself on the ladder of goodness and morality. And when I hand them the pen or ask them to point on the ladder, their facial expression tells me everything I need to know what's going through their mind, and it's simply four words. I am so hosed. That's what they're thinking right there. That this is not good news. And you just see when talking to people like this who had this one idea of heaven and how to get there and then I explain it the way I explain it, you just see this idea of goodness getting you to heaven kind of disintegrating and getting nuked right in front of my eyes. Because the Bible doesn't say that you get to heaven through being good. The Bible says God loved and God gave and we believe And we receive from God what we can never earn on our own. And people respond to this the same way all the time. They say, that just sounds too good to be true. I'm like, yes, that's why we call it the good news. Amen? Because it is too good to be true. That's right. And so people say, well, how can I believe that? How is that possible that I can believe that? And my answer is always the same. You can believe that, what John 3.16 said, because the same one who said John 3.16 is the same one who said, you kill me, and in three days I will rise again. You can believe the good news of John 3.16 because of the empty tomb. And that's when heads start to shake and eyes start to roll and people say, you mean to tell me I gotta believe a dead person walked out of their own grave? I mean, come on, I can believe that Jesus was a good man, he was a moral humanitarian, he was a good example, that he was even a prophet of God. But to walk out of his own grave? Well, let's examine the evidence for a minute to see if this is rational and reasonable to believe this, okay? So just follow me here, folks, all right? Let's think about this for a minute. When Jesus Christ died on the cross that we celebrated this past Friday... How many believers were there in the world at that time? How many believers were there, would you say? Just shout out an answer to me. Huh? Thousand? Anybody else? Five? Twelve? You know what the answer is? Zero. Because when Jesus died on the cross, they didn't believe. And you know how that's evidenced? They ran. They were scared. That's not putting your full weight into something. That's not leaning into something and trusting in that. They were afraid the same thing was going to happen to them, what happened to Jesus. So they ran. So the question is, how do you go from zero believers at the cross to what researchers would tell us today is a third of the world's population, 2.5 billion people who claim they believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they would call him Lord. How do you get that? How do you go that far? Well, here's the good news, folks. 
If you have trouble believing that a dead man walked out of his own grave, you're in good company. Because Jesus' own followers who walked with him, talked with him, lived with him, ate with him, drank with him, listened to his teachings, heard him preach, saw the miracles with their own eyes, they didn't believe that he was coming back from the dead either. Even though he said he would. Even though he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, will live again. Even though he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Even though Jesus said these things to his followers on repeated occasions, when they saw him die on the cross, they were done. They thought the dream was over. Do you know why? Because the resurrection and the life doesn't die on the cross. The way, the truth, and the life doesn't get buried in a tomb. God doesn't die. And yet, somehow we've gone from zero believers at the time of Jesus' death to over a third of the world's population today, 2.5 billion people. How do we get there? Well, let me show you how. Look in John chapter 20, verse 1. It says here, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple. Now listen, in John, who's writing this gospel, when he refers to the other disciple, he's talking about himself, okay? So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, here's what she said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Notice when Mary entered the tomb and it was empty, she didn't immediately say, glory to God, Jesus rose just like he said. Resurrection was the very last thing on her mind. She saw him die. She concludes what the rest of us would have concluded, that somebody's just come in and they've stolen the body of Jesus. And that's true for the rest of the followers of Jesus. They didn't believe or think that it was possible either, even though Jesus told them this is going to happen. And it continues. Listen to how the story continues to unfold. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. John says, just for a matter of history, I run faster than Peter, okay? And he bent over, and he looked, into the, looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. But it says here, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So what changed? What just completely shattered their disbelief? They saw 
the risen Lord. That's the only explanation how you go from unbelief to complete belief. And then we read that over a period of several weeks, Jesus appeared to his followers time and time again. Sometimes just a couple of them. Sometimes he appeared to them hundreds at a time. And the reason is clear. The reason why he appeared to them on so many different occasions is because it took so many times to fully convince them that, yes, I am alive. And the only way, friends, you can explain the growth of Christianity from absolute zero at the cross to 2.5 billion people today is the reality of the resurrection. And that's why you and I and humanity as a whole can believe the promise of John 3.16 for one reason, because the tomb is empty. Amen? And friends, this is why. This is why Jesus' followers, shortly after he ascended to heaven, they went out preaching the good news and proclaiming the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with boldness and surety and confidence. In fact, Peter says in Acts chapter 2, as he's preaching to a crowd, he says, this Jesus, whom you crucified, because he's preaching in Jerusalem, and I'm sure he's pointing. Remember Jesus, who you crucified just weeks ago, over on Golgotha, the place of the skull, right over there is where you crucified him. This same Jesus, God has raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of it. They preached one message. He is risen. And even though the religious and the governmental authorities threatened them with persecution and violence and incarceration, they wouldn't shut up. Here's their response to them in Acts chapter 4. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. He is risen. That's how you can know the good news is the good news. And this is why, ladies and gentlemen, for the past 2,000 years, that Christian men and women can stand in cemeteries and they can say with clenched fists, it does not end here. That's why we can have confidence at the bedside of our loved ones in the hospital whose life is being eaten away by cancer or disease and we see the life ebbing and flowing out of them minute by minute and we can say with confidence and assurity in that hospital room, cancer and disease does not have the final say, Jesus does, because he is the resurrection and the life. That's our hope. And Jesus, our loving Savior, gives his church, his people, this wonderful gift because he knows the propensity we have to forget or to question or to doubt, the propensity we have to want to add to, our own salvation to where we think we merit it or earn it in some way and we try to climb up that ladder and get a few rungs up higher and Jesus says, no, 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 listen. I'm gonna give you something to remind you every week that when you gather together, you're gonna hold the elements of my body and my blood, proof of my great love for you and they are gonna remind you week after week after week that God loved and God gave and you believe and you receive. 
And friends, every time we eat that and we drink that in faith and believing that, you know what we're doing? We are putting our full weight into Jesus. We are leaning into Jesus saying, I trust you and what you did. And you did for me what I could not do for myself. And I'm trusting that. I'm yielding myself to that as your follower. And scripture says, because of that, we can have the assurance that because he arose, we will live forever as well. Amen? That's worth celebrating this morning. Now here at the eight o'clock service that we just had, two young ladies evidenced their faith, their belief in Jesus in the waters of baptism. And this morning, maybe if you came in as a, as a skeptic, or maybe you've been wounded, or you had your reasons, and you understand right now that Easter is so big and so powerful that it just cuts through every reason that you came in from, with today. And you want to make the same decision as those young ladies and put the full weight of your trust and your life into Jesus. And you want to lean into him today, not just today, but forever and the rest of your life. Then today is a good day, the best of all days to do that, to identify with the death, resurrection of Jesus in the waters of baptism. Or you might say this morning, Solomon, I've still got some more questions. I'd like to talk a little bit more, and I would love to talk to you. So on our communication card this morning, you can say on there, I'd like to talk to a minister, or I'd like to talk about being baptized, and we will contact you this week very soon. But if you're already convinced, there's really not much more that I can tell you about why you should do this today. Scripture says today is the day of salvation. Seek the Lord while he still may be found. Would you pray with me right now? Father, thank you for the hope that we have as the followers of Jesus to know that the best is yet to come, that eternal life waits for us after this life, to be restored with you in our relationship and to have that perfect intimacy with our creator, to have everything that sin has robbed us of in this life to be restored back to us not because of us and what we've done, but because you loved and you gave and Jesus came and Jesus died and when we believe and trust in that and put the full weight of ourselves into that, we will not perish but have eternal life. Praise be to you, Father, for your undying love for us. We give you this time now, Lord, as we remember the sacrifice of Jesus that you gave your absolute best for us because of your great love. And I pray that not a man or a woman leave this place today separated from you by sin, but that they come to you in faith, believing and receiving. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.